This is the Beyond the Dojo podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremiah. You know, when we're doing, like, kumite drills, few things are more awkward than, like, making it so that you can't use your hands. I feel like you know how sometimes we're doing, like, sparring night or whatever, and we just use our upper body? You got all this cool stuff you can do. You're, like, bobbing and weaving and using your hands and whatever. But then if we do just the legs, it gets really strange. You remember that, that video of the guy who was taking his, like, high-level <laughs> dawn exam on YouTube? And, and all they did was, like, did was like yeah, it was, like, really weird sideways leg flail. I feel like that guy. I mean, maybe we were missing context for that video. Maybe he, um, maybe was he was... just to use his one leg? <laughs> just the one leg. Not both legs, just the one. Dude, you gotta, you gotta link that. Maybe I should. If I can find it, I will link it in the description oh, of this wild, uh, video. So, anyway. It has been a long time since I've seen that video. It was really funny, though. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> this episode has nothing to do with that. It was no. just funny. Because uh, we did that in the last sparring night, and it was hilarious. <clears throat> I got lots of bruises on one leg from, like, halfway blocking with my thigh and trying to not get kicked and stuff. I guess we were allowed to block with our hands, but stuff got crazy, so I didn't want to risk my hands or fingers. <laughs> there you go. So, um, one of the things we've been discussing lately, and we discuss sometimes based on how things go when we're teaching, is... um. Teaching over students' heads, or maybe just not teaching at the level students are at. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit? What do um, mean by that? Well, I took it a couple ways, right? I took it as, like, teaching stuff you don't really know how to do. There's, like, a lot of motorized vehicles going by for some reason, so hopefully this podcast is not a disaster. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's... <laughs> um... I think there's a couple ways that we could talk about it. And the first way is, like, teaching stuff that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching stuff too early to a student. Mm-hmm. And I think the last one is deliberately making it mm. difficult. Mm, so, so that's that like, multi-tiered. All right, so let's talk about um, teaching over, like, teaching something that's above a student's pay grade. How think, often? How often do you think we do that? I think it's situational because honestly, um, sometimes you got to teach that way to see if someone can catch on or not. You got to throw it out there to see if they can bite. You know okay. what I mean? Um, and that's a good way of testing like how well someone or how how keen they are to pick up these concepts. Yeah. For example, we have an adult student that has done mountain climbing and stuff like that, and he's able to pick things up physically he's good with his eyes so he can right. pick up shapes and stuff yeah so you know, I, I deliberately say make corrections that are beyond that okay yeah see what i'm saying like so yeah. it gets beyond the, the idea that oh, i can make this shape so it's like like a couple inches above his head it's not like so no, high no. above his head that he's drowning yeah no it's not he's not lost in translation okay he should be able to, he was able to, in that situation he was able to understand what i asked and then implement almost immediately okay so um, just an example, right? That's a, that's a an exception to the rule. I think that's standard progression. Also, is like you you should be giving corrections that students understand, but then also that's how they go to the next level. Is you give them corrections of things maybe they don't they don't know that they don't know. Yeah, just but yet. Um, but if you're giving corrections that's two to three levels above him. Yes, that's that's difficult. Uh, and that's what I'm saying is within 
depending on the, the student's ability, mm-hmm. is he could he's either he or she's able to do it or not. Yeah. Compared to let's say. You want to share an example of teaching overheads? Because I've got one for me, too, so. I don't really have an example, mm-hmm. per se, but, like. You want to talk about when you went to visit? Yeah. Uh, so, um, recently I got asked to uh, do, like, this friendly exchange of teachers and ideas with the uh, Shitaru um, school in, in Tavares, and, uh. You know, I went in there thinking one thing, mm. right? Thinking that it's going to be this thing where it's going to be, well, it's going to be a well thought out soapbox kind of conversation where we're talking about the essence of this and that and talking to guys that had, you know, in my mind, oh, they're going to be guys who had experience in this. And it ended up being. The whole premise was that he was supposed to teach the essence of Shotokan and the other guy was teaching the essence, essence of, of Shitaru. Shitaru right? yeah. And the more I thought about the essence of Shotokan, the more I didn't think we were so different from everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't this thing. And so I got fixated on the idea that we're all the same. Mm-hmm. That we're, you know, we're just, there's differences and in, in like slight differences, but in the overall picture, it's all the same. Okay. Right? And, um, yeah. I, not, not to say, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the students. I think they're a great group. That dojo was awesome. They had an open mind. They're willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that instance, I felt like I was using a language they didn't understand. Yeah, I can see that. So I think I think dojos tend to have their own dialect mm-hmm. in a sense, like their own individual um, either phrases or, or or ideas that people can understand. That you have, you know, if you were outside from the dojo, you'd have to be explained to a little right. bit. And and I think that's where it, it happened there. Where yeah. I just I was like, eh. So we end up doing. They like they like the Shotokan side snapcake. Okay. So I just did like the last half class in Snapcake. Snapcake, we'll right. just do that, guys. Right, but um, <laughs> which is also a very complicated. It's kick. very complicated. It's one of our hard kicks, right? Uh, it it taught me that a I gotta be I gotta know my audience, right? I gotta know new like students that I'm trying to reach, um, generally, mm-hmm. right? Or be able to under decide or um, discern mm-hmm. their abilities right away. Yeah. Um, it's hard when there's a lot of stylistic difference. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that caught me off guard too. Right. But you know, I thought about it more, and and, and at first I thought I, I might have taught over their head, mm-hmm. but in reality I got over in, in over my head. Mm. Like I wasn't prepared for them. Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it was an eye opener. It's like you know what? I got to yeah. do certain things. I have to be a certain way. Yeah. When it comes to when it comes to those opportunities, so. Well, it's a good learning experience. Like oh, this. Absolutely. This is like a, a problem I used to have. Is like, I think sometimes practitioners in any field. They they want to impress their peers. Right. So they get all caught up in their own jargon and their own way of doing things and their own, like, this is the way. So they harp on that and they get really intense and really advanced in that vein. But then whenever they meet someone who is not in that line of thinking or who is a beginner, um, I think they have a hard time watering things down. And what was really funny is that this isn't funny, but I talked about it on the podcast before. I was like, right when I got out of college and I started personal training, you're like, well, why don't you know this <laughs> to other people? But they don't know. They don't know what any of this terminology means. They don't know that 
toning muscle is not a thing. I mean, and but like for some reason you expect them to understand the way that you communicate and, and that's not the sign of a good set of instruction. That doesn't mean that you're not a good teacher in general, that you're not trying to improve, but that's not a good way of communicating. So I, I totally get it. That's <laughs> totally been through that. That was a humble experience. Obviously, I thought I had something there and it just, yeah. you know, I think like right after that, maybe it was right before, it was like the first, one of the first nights um, I did any kind of teaching in the teens and adults class on our sparring night. You had asked me to, to hop in and we had, I think we had a little bit of miscommunication, but I, I started going on a drill and it went from like zero to a hundred real fast because it was like sort of basic and sort of difficult. And then like, and like it was that couple inches over their heads and then it was like, Zoop! we were all drowning at that point because I'm just like trying to explain how to do it, trying to do it with them. No one's catching on. And like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I left the floor in tears because, um, I totally, totally screwed that up. It was very embarrassing. And it's not a class that I've been able to teach for a while just because of the way we have to orient classes with taking care of the baby and all that kind of stuff. So it happens, unfortunately, even after you've been teaching for many years. Um, and I think being in regular practice with teaching does help. Um, you not make those kinds of mistakes, but it does happen, obviously. So, whoops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I, I think, I, I, I'm beginning to have the feeling like the more basic you can, you can start the actual movements and technique, the more basic that part is, and the more layers you can very gradually add, the very gradual progressions you can make um, without it becoming way too uncomfortable for everybody. Mm. What do you think? Now, sometimes you gotta take the middle steps out mm. and jump from one part to, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, in my my, my opinion, though, mm. and my approach is, um, if I try to layer things too much, it just gets, it gets overwhelming. Like, there's too much there. Mm. Right? And then you start losing, you lose the forest for retreat, in a sense, right? Mm. Um, but, I tend to jump, right? I'll, I'll start here the most basic intermediate then to the advanced I don't kind of like layer it in a sense yeah the way you I think you're describing it um, yeah yeah so I guess that's the way that makes most sense to me and I know that I'll tend to I don't want to talk over people's heads and I know that sometimes I can do that so from me I think it just it's a way of holding myself accountable yeah so but it also comes down to well set this thought you know, talking about dojo dialect, right? And, and yeah. just different things. What if, what if all karate schools need scientific terms mm. to describe physical movement? Mm, that would be very different. Mm. Yeah. And I, I do like often, like we had a, a, an example yesterday of, um, we have a regular monthly black belt training. We were working with a guy giving us some coaching on, some structural alignment things and I will out of habit use scientific terms as far as like positioning only because as long as you understand what the term means there's no way of misunderstanding so yeah but he's also a and he's also a physician so that does help um but even but but what I'll do with the with our younger students is I will actually use the terminology and then I will show them 
what it means. Mm-hmm. And I try to be consistent with that language. So, cause, so I think consistency in language may be more important. I mean, if we're trying to talk about cross-dojo communication, yeah, yeah, that's the reason that they have standard... Standardization yeah. of description is right. it's kind of necessary for a big picture of growth. Yeah. yeah. But even if you're consistent in your own dojo, it helps. Yeah. So. Alright, so the second one was... Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching students like personally um some of the highlights of my from my like my q days was like going being able to like summer camps or camps or whatever seminars Mm -hmm. and learning a kata that i wouldn't be able to do in class for another belt or two Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily going through and learning it to perfect it but just having fun for our class Mm -hmm. and just doing it and then you know nine 90% 90% of the time, no, we never did it again. Right. As I've experienced the exact same thing. Right. And I think that's good yeah. to do that because it shows, sometimes it can show an, a, an end, ending point or a, a goal point. Yeah. Even like, it can be like a farther off goal. Yeah. Like, hey, this is, this is above your pay grade, but hey, let's try it. And we'll do that sometimes, like before we take breaks and stuff. Like maybe we'll do that Tuesday. Like we have the, the students go through like a kata that's like, super high Don ranking kata and they're like white belts are like oh my god cloud hands <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. so that one's fun but yeah. what about um what about if you want to dive into this one teaching things that you're working on and i think we have covered this on other podcasts but yeah. oh we have a crying baby okay we're gonna take a pause pause <laughs> and we're back so I don't think there's well, I don't think it's wise to teach something you're working on yourself, mm-hmm. because if you're still working on it, then there's really no teachable point yet. Mm-hmm. You have to have a complete understanding of what's going on, and you have to have experience to kind of relay the ideas, especially if it's a high level thing. Right. Right. Because the higher level you get, the more detailed your basic, the more details you're working on. Right. Yeah. And and to me, that's just a no no. Mm-hmm. Because the smallest mistake in your teaching could cause so much more work for the practitioner. Right. So it's just stupid to me. Now, if you're training, let's say, like we have our Monday night training, right? Mm-hmm. I would bounce ideas off of them. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we're not, no te- we're not we're teaching. We're not teaching, but it's, right. it's like, hey, I'm working on this. And then we just kind of talk about it a little bit and see what they say. Right. Right? That's different. Yeah. Um, well, like but, when you go to seminars, too, and you pick up stuff... And then you bring it back for your students, which a lot of senseis do. Is that something you're working on or is that just something cool that you saw? I mean, that's where you start to hit, I think, a gray area about should you be introducing things that you just learned at a seminar to your students if you haven't internalized it? I think it's not a problem if you're sharing experience. Yeah. But if you tend to do that same idea for the next five classes, Mm. you might want to reconsider that. Mm. You know what I mean? If you're, if it's now the go-to technique that everybody has to do, you know, and it's got to be done this way, then you might want to make sure you're doing it correctly first. So one year, my sensei went to a seminar and learned makyo, and mm. we did it as like shodans for, or I think no, I think I was in Nidon, and then we had a bunch of like young shodans. We did it for months, and. I remember him making the comment, well, I don't really get why this is such a high-level kata. It's so basic. <laughs> and I'm just like thinking, I'm pretty sure this kata is being deceptive, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, we would do stuff like that. He's not the only one. I mean, I'm well, just using that as an well, example. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, we're probably, 
all guilty of it. Oh, yeah. So excited about things. I know, and you, and you get yeah, definitely you get and, excited and want to share. Right, and if you're not, if you're not mature or having wisdom in that that part, mm-hmm. you'll you'll do it right until someone says something or puts you in a situation where you're like, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have taught that idea because I don't know the answer right now. Yes, and and you know what's funny is like when we first started training with Steve, I think one of the issues that we faced a lot is that we were getting so many fundamental corrections that should have been learned at like lower and well middle q grade level even though we're done grades um and then we're like teaching students that are at that level and we're working on the things that they are supposed to be learning and we're like trying to kind of teach some of those concepts or like go back and be like oh by the way um we've been having you do this wrong all this time um so that was a really i mean there are still things i think that we're continuing to work on but it's not quite to the level that it was. So I don't feel guilty about it when it, when it comes to fundamental stuff because we're, yeah. we're constantly honing it either way. Right. And, yeah. I'm just saying it was unavoidable. Yeah, well, and we weren't far off base to begin with. Sure. You know, I mean, we could have been slightly wrong here and there in the technique or timing or whatever. Oh, I don't know. There was some stuff we were, we were pretty off base with. Like, timing of Oizuki. I mean, how many years did I work on that one? Mm. Like a lot of years. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's not something you'd go over when you're first in a white belt class or a beginner. No, but school. I mean, like even by like intermediate level, by like fifth Q, fourth Q, and stuff like that, when you're teaching them, and then like you know, I'm like performing it not quite ideal, but then also trying to teach. Hey, this is the timing of this technique, and I'm trying to show it, but I can't really quite do it, and. Anyway, I think just I think that was that was just a hard time to go through. And I think it was one of those that was not really avoidable. Mm, I think it's yeah, I was gonna say it's unnecessary. Yeah. Fit stop in the map. Mm-hmm. So where you're teaching something that you don't quite get, but yeah. it's not because you're trying to be a hothead egotistical jerk. It's just because yeah. you're trying to fix your karate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a difference when you're making a mistake and you're like, dude, I've been doing it wrong, and could, and then coming back like I learned this magical movement let yeah. me master it and yeah how awesome I am can you can you recount any any examples of seeing someone teaching things that they didn't understand I did it all the time are you kidding me oh okay you know with, when we first started when I first started going to like Rick's Rick's stuff and and then Steve's stuff it was you know at that point that was what I was enamored with so that's what I talked about mm-hmm. um and I would, sh- I would share it with my class, but what I thought was sharing probably was, like, shoving it down their throats. Mm, okay. So, yeah. yeah, I'm guilty of that. I'm yeah. big time guilty of that. Yeah. Um, I had the unfortunate experience of my mentor, who spent a lot of time teaching me, not... He had, he had spent many years out of the dojo, and he had a decent eye, but he didn't have a, a thorough enough understanding of things that he saw because he physically couldn't do them. Um, and that was one of those things where he was definitely somebody who was who was teaching things that he didn't understand. And I think what happens when you do that is it's not only are you, it's, it's hard to calibrate what to teach to what level when you don't have a thorough understanding. But then by the same token, your understanding is so convoluted that you are making it more complicated than it actually is. 
and then it makes it even harder. Maybe maybe you are teaching to the proper level, but you your understanding is so skewed that you're making it way too difficult for anybody else to understand. Like if you have a thorough understanding of something, I mean, I'll give my opinion on this, and you can share your thoughts too if you if you'd like. But my under, my thoughts on a thorough understanding would be enough to be able to take a basic idea and then like explain it multiple different ways or use different teaching methods like physically showing someone or using different cues you know auditorily or trying to physically manipulate the person if they allow you to I mean I feel like if you have a decent understanding you have more versatility that you can build off of yeah I agree I agree what I think what sounds like what you described to me was you have a depth of knowledge or understanding of the technique mm-hmm. which gives you the breadth mm-hmm. to teach it right you can teach to multiple different people and and accommodate you know limitations stuff like that but it's so interesting that like you're saying depth and i'm thinking like sometimes the concepts aren't like let's let's just what uh, Ubo Sensei says all the time. Sometimes it's just not as complicated as we make it out to be. Right. And yet it's be- he knows that because he has such a depth of knowledge. Right. And yet I think when we think depth of knowledge, we think complication. We think like how many complicated ways can I move my body and make this thing work? And it's not that. It's like how how little movement can you make and make that work? And how simplistic can you make the concept and make it work or I'll teach it or whatever? Um, so yeah, that's, that's maybe like a, yeah, I mean, if the idea is to be more efficient as you come closer to mastering your craft, Mm -hmm. then it should be less and less complicated. Right. Because when you watch a master, uh, craftsman carpenter, he's not doing all this crazy stuff. He does very little to get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, I think that's the correct path. Yeah. In karate. I feel like some people take the approach of, oh, I've, I've been doing this so long, I need to master every detail of the technique. The things that don't even matter, like in the overall picture of power production or, or speed or whatever, and then they'll emphasize that. Oh, so like, imp- like maybe yeah. add things that aren't there? Add or? things that are not, are not there, mm. or overemphasize something that's very subtle. Yes, that should be very subtle, right? Yeah, yeah. to yeah. me that, you know, that's 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 a sure sign that they don't completely, they don't have a depth of understanding or of of that technique they're trying to not say overall, but just that moment of what they're talking about. Or they're taking, they're taking a situational adaptation of the movement and making it canon, universal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, yikes. Um, it is what it is, right? Hey, so this is just an example of that. So I'm kind of going to talk about my mentor again. So he, one of the thing, one of the reasons he would get so confused is he would like watch videos of an instructor teaching and he would try to, he would try to take from what he saw and from what he was hearing as corrections. And he was trying to take that and bring it to me and to some to others and, and teach that. But it was the corrections and the demonstrations were situational. It was per person. It was each person was being coached by this instructor on this video. This person's watching. Um, So that made things like, it was just kind of an example of that where like it really made things complicated because it's like, 
those corrections were not relevant to me necessarily, right. but he didn't, he just didn't know. Um, so, so that's, that's the other thing is like, just because you're at a seminar and somebody's getting corrected about this, that, and the other, if you take that and extrapolate that to everybody, it doesn't always apply. You got to yeah. be able to have an eye for what it's supposed to look like and then what it's like, what's like match that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So you mentioned two um, examples of senseis intentionally teaching over students' heads. Yeah. Got any examples of that one? Mm, example of that one? Like, that won't that won't throw any YouTube guys under the bus. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, it's everybody's dealt with an egotistical teacher. Mm-hmm. And everybody's dealt with that, oh, do it this way. Look what I could do compared to what you can't do. Mm, okay. Let me show you this. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Because I know most of, I don't know Andre Bartel personally. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've seen his videos. Mm-hmm. I've seen him teaching in seminars. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of, you have, it goes back to you have to know who you're teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So if the, the seminar is full of older people, yeah, you should. the last thing you want to do is make them sit in Seiza and mm-hmm. force them to jump out of it into a stance or do a kick out of it. Yeah, that was... No disrespect to him. He's fine. He's an athlete. Right. But he's lacking in the awareness of who he's teaching. He's either lacking in awareness or he's or he choosing. Just don't care. Yeah, and and like there are so many versions of that that are not quite that extreme. He's yeah. an extreme case. I've, he's like broken people's bones and stuff yeah, demonstrating on them like he's not a good um no. not a good uh, protector of his students, but um well, there you, you could tell well what we're describing is a teacher who's promoting himself mm. at any cost. Right. Yeah. All that matters is how people view me, not the the product I produce or the students I teach. I feel like the the two, like like if a if a teacher is doing this like over the head thing, they're doing one of two things. They're either showing off their athleticism, or they're intentionally overcomplicating something, or both. For what game though? Um, I I think I think teachers like to see their students go. I said, wow, for those of you who are listening on audio. Wow. 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 This is an ASMR podcast now. Wow. <laughs> oh, wait, let me take the pop filter off. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think they, they, like, they like the accolades. They like the wow factor. I mean, there are teachers who aren't trying, who are excellent, and you see the audience go, wow, because they're just so incredible. Um, but then I feel like sometimes teachers I mean to be fair everybody's got an ego and sometimes I think even the best of us yeah. the best of the two of us the best of well, us well sometimes well sometimes we'll show off just just a tiny bit sometimes though sometimes it's good to quote show off a little bit only to show students what they're capable of if you're showing them something that they are capable of or you're trying to demonstrate a concept that's kind of goes back to teaching just over their heads but if you're doing something that they're never going to be able to do, or you're teaching it in such a way that they're never going to be able to understand it, um, either intentionally or unintentionally, because sometimes teachers, I think, get lost in this ambiguity thing, and it's like not, hmm. it's not helpful. Yeah. Well. Yikes. As long as they're teaching with a purpose to improve their students, I guess. Well, that's that's different though. I mean, that's teachers who want their te- who want their yeah, students to improve. 
to that point. It's like we're describing teachers that don't really care about the, their students. They care about what their students can do for them, not what they can do for their students. Yeah. That's that's a problem. But I think that's old school approach, and I'm starting to see that fade away. What is the, the it's all about me it's approach? It's all about me. Mm. I'm the teacher. Bow to, bow to the subject when he walks on the floor. Bow, you know, it, that kind of overzealous uh, respect and, and the, the whole, like, putting the sensei on a pedestal thing. That is called narcissism. It's creating narcissism, right? And it's interesting because the generation that we're in now is, I mean, they're, we're, we can be pretty self-obsessed. We're used to having things quickly. We're used to taking lots of pictures of ourselves and everything being about us. Um, it's interesting that you think that there's less of that. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just thinking it'd be, it would be very interesting if that's the case where the up-and-coming instructors are actually more selfless when you have a group of, instru- of historical instructors who are fading away or dying off who were very self-obsessed. Well, it's, it's, it's just a different version of the same thing, right? Um, and it's more maybe. socially acceptable to be self-absorbed. Sure. Right, and mm-hmm. back in the day, no dis- it's, It was kind of acceptable to be an egotistical jerk. Whenever you were an instructor, and, a, and as an instructor, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, that's that's because he's an instructor. Mm-hmm. All the years of karate kind of thing. It's like, no, yeah, he's a dick. He's a jerk. Yeah. So. So don't is. be. What he said. <laughs> yeah, don't be that. Yeah, ain't teach at students' heads. Point. Right. Bullseye. Not over. Don't be a unless you're. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a while. What's your, uh... <laughs> what, an eggplant? Just barely. Yeah, I haven't seen an eggplant in a while. My mom's growing one, though. Really? Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was great, because I fell through. <laughs> oh, really cool. Well, oh. on that note, what you been working on, girl? <laughs> <clears throat> Not, uh, gardening. Not gardening. Um... <laughs> Uh, reverse budge, mm. actually. Um, working on, um, working on it not being, like, a setting the punch in place. I've spent a lot of years training slowly, and I think it's coming back to bite me in the butt. Um, so trying to increase the speed of hip rotation, trying to time the upper body with it, because it's, like, unbelievable how that still falls behind. Mm. Um, that's kind of the main thing right now. I've been, yeah. I've been, uh, uh, I use a little a little app thing that I've got and I've been using it to try to track just even just a few reps a day. Um, trying to make myself like, Hey, even if you feel like you can't do a lot, just do a few reps because a few reps still makes a difference. So I did some today, did some a couple days I think ago. that's a theme in our, in the shift of our training now, right? What's that? Both of us are saying, okay, it's time to add speed and power. And, mm, yeah. All right. We've been doing this because both of us been doing slow training. Gosh, how many years now? Um, almost six since I nope, since I was uh, like 18. That's how long I've been doing it because Glenn had me train slow all that time, like, I hardly ever trained fast. Yeah, yeah, that was about the same time I was doing. Yeah, so that was like 12 years ago. 12 years slow training, yikes! Yeah, a bit excessive. I mean, that's not saying that we never train fast, it's just with self training or anything, anything technical, anything we're working on to improve. Mm-hmm. On our own has party. been slow we, for, for the most part. Training. Yeah. Yeah. What so you working on? Uh, hey, I'm showing up. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. It's, I feel like we're. It, I'm gonna say this, and and people are gonna come on me, but whatever. I feel like we're in a yellow belt class with Steve now. Like 
we moved up out yes. of the white belt. So like we're we are eighth Q. Will you sign my eighth Q certificate, sir? <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's like it, I feel like it's a step, like yeah. a different approach, mm. a different shift. Mm. And you know, he even said he was like, "Yeah, I'm glad." Decided to finally go fast. I think he was bored. <laughs> I really think he was like, Do we right, have guys. to keep doing it slow? <laughs> Something different, please. So. Yeah. Watching a turtle move. Yeah, yeah. But. Yeah, so, yeah, show up. Full speed. Cool. Yeah. Bad habits still show up. Even though all that training, the bad habits still show up when you go speed and fast. You yeah. Kind of get a break from both in slow motion and full speed. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought it, it would be translating, but it doesn't. Yeah. Like, yeah. it, it translates, a lot of it translates. Yeah. But your major issues, they kind of yeah. always show up. Well, that, that uh, neuromuscular connection has to be built with yeah. different motor units now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're faster ones. Yep. Yeah. Oops. Mm-hmm. Oops. Yay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been fun. Don't teach over your students' heads. Um, Is that what we were talking I feel like the conversation was all over the place tonight. I mean, it kind of centered on that. Okay. Don't uh, don't grow an eggplant, or maybe (laughs) do. I don't know. That was hilarious. You should see the one my mom's growing though. Like it. Oh, it's. I kind of know what kind of looks like. (laughs) Doesn't look like an eggplant. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. Bye. Bye.